Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm coming to you with one of the most important commercials that I've ever done. All of you know what my pillow and myself have gone through in the last eight months in my efforts to bring the truth forward. Well, now you can help in a couple ways. First, get everyone you know to go to my new media platform, frankspeech.com. There you'll find all the footage from my cyber symposium and many other important broadcasts. Also, I am personally doing a new daily live show to get the truth out. It's at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Secondly, I'm offering some of the best prices ever on my pillow products, but they're only available on frankspeech.com. Go to frankspeech.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive MyPillow offers. Thank you and God bless. Make sure and put the code word Kate, K-A-T-E. This will get you up to 66% savings at MyPillow.com. The code word Kate, my first name, K-A-T-E. Help support Mike, help support this show, and help support yourself in getting some amazing, amazing products. These are the best ones I've ever owned. Go to MyPillow.com, code word Kate. Wish we had enough crayons to explain this, but more government does not make you more free. The Kate Daly Show starts now. This thing called messenger RNA, or mRNA for short, that transmits the critical information from the DNA, our genes, to the protein, which is really the stuff we're all made out of. This is the critical information that determines what a cell will actually do. And so we think of it like an operating system. And it's not just in every cell of our body, it's actually in every cell of every organism alive. It's the same thing. And so if you could actually change that, which we call the software of life, if you could introduce a line of code or change a line of code. Uh, You can basically do anything with uh, synthetic uh, RNA, DNA. it's it's like a computer program. So, I mean, I think with enough with with uh, with effort, that's not too crazy. You could probably stop aging, reverse it if you want. Um, uh, these are you can basically do it. You can turn someone into a freaking butterfly if you want with the right DNA sequence. So, I mean, caterpillars do it. love it. The thought, I was like, gee, you know, what's the one thing on my bucket list? Turning into a butterfly. It's kind of hoping for that in my lifetime. Yeah, said nobody ever. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny that they say it with a straight face. Like, it's uh, no biggie. It's kind of cool. It's like new technology, like a new iPhone. It's, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> can, you, can you believe this? Oh, you guys, Biden sweeping, uh, sweeping things going on in Bidenville. And of course, um, I will have Jonathan Dunn um, coming in. He's going to be speaking at an event tonight. And um, I'm pretty sure it's at the Red Lion. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it in front of me. And uh, Jonathan Dunn and I, were we both had shows on The Blaze at the same time. And he's, uh, he's just such a good guy. He's from Ireland and he loves this country. And he's got really great things to say. You're going to want to hear him. He's going to be really good. And then I have Chris Ann Hall, uh, and of course, you know, Chris Ann's fantastic. And then have uh, then I have um, 
Dr. Sean Brooks. He was the one that said, basically, um, stood up in front of the school board and said, uh, not our school board, another one, and said, uh, yeah, people are going to die and it's going to be on your hands. And what are you doing? And just real point blank about it. I love it. And so I'll have him on on as well today. And then uh, tomorrow, it's the Rebecca Roth show tomorrow, uh, 9-11. And I really, her books are, are quite amazing, to tell you the truth. Um, they just... They just open your mind a lot to the possibilities of, hmm, did they follow more or less the Northwoods protocol, the Northwoods operation that they had designed back in the 60s? Because it sure kind of sounds like it. And when you read her books, you'll see why. Um, metho- um, let's see, Methodical Illusion, I think is the book, uh, one of the books, I'm trying to think uh, right off the top of my head. But uh, in any case, open phone lines you are just fine to call in and uh give me a call and and let me know you know what's going on with you what are you thinking i'm sure you have lots of thoughts (laughs) and and this is one of the only shows you know you can still you know really call in on i just did alex jones show for an hour and it was a lot of fun i really like doing that this was i think the fifth week or fourth week fifth week uh anyway fifth time and uh it's a lot of fun i like doing that every week uh kind of bringing some of the information i've learned Can I share with you something? I want to share this with you. You know, I was doing some research last night and I just kind of feel like they are always following the same game plan. And I knew that they had fudged the numbers with, um, with, uh, um, the 1918 flu. I knew they had fudged the numbers and they were fabricating them and they were hiking them way up because, um, they just, they just did over the course of you know, 100 years, we are, you know, we're looking at uh, totally spiked numbers. And I went back to polio to kind of look at what they had done with those numbers. And I found it a little, I found it kind of shocking, actually. So when polio was going on uh, in in its spike, the interesting thing about polio was, is that you had 70% of the people who didn't even know they had it. Okay. They were counting those cases, by the way. So didn't even know they had it. A little bit like today, right? Like but even bigger percentage on this. And then 25% had fever or a sore throat. Okay. Then 5% had some stiffness and it was 1% and under. It was really 0.5% that actually had the paralysis. Shocking, isn't it? Because don't you think that when people got it, they were paralyzed, right? Okay. And it came from, you know... Uh, there's a lot of things associated with viruses, with cancer, viruses are causing a lot of things too. So keep that in mind. But so you have a 0.5 up to maybe a 1.0 um, in um, people getting paralyzed or death. And at its peak, you know, 35,000 cases in a year that, I mean, it's not, a, a, it's not the most tremendous amount you've ever seen, right? 146 million people. Okay. But there, here's where it gets really interesting. I'll, I'll tell you this, and then I'm going to take phone calls. Okay. So this guy, um, uh, Basil O'Connor, very interesting guy. Basil O'Connor, um, back in 1943, see, he had become fast friends with, uh, with Roosevelt. And of course, with the polio, that was what they gave in the press. Oh, he had polio. So, so he, so they became fast friends. Nobody really knows how. And they made him the um, architect of the National Foundation for um, Infantile, um, you know, um, uh, being paralyzed. I can't remember the official name of it. It turned into March of Dimes, by the way. 
And he started this in 1943, and their whole game plan was to work on an immunization, okay? He was really chummy with the Rockefellers. In fact, to the tune of the fact that they put on his funeral. I mean, they were there, and, and I mean, they are very, very, very chummy, Basil O'Connor. So Basil O'Connor is getting all this money from government, right? Because as soon as another year goes by, 1944, polio really starts to spike, right? Um, um, up to about, what, 1952, 1953, and totally spikes. And all of a sudden, voila, he has the very thing that he had set up shop for. Now he has the reason to ask for more and more and more money. And this was really the first time that we were doing any campaign like this where everyone was giving, that's why they called it March of Dimes. The kids were sending in a dime to help, okay? So Basil O'Connor is running this outfit and guess who Jonas Salk is, you know, with the polio vaccine. He just happens to, he just happens to be part of the crew under Basil. O'Connor, he just happens to be part of his group. I mean, you can be a coincidence theorist and think that all these, I mean, it just, my gosh, he has the guy that invented the, um, the vaccine for polio, right? Wow, that was lucky. You know, he was quite a bit younger. That was lucky, right? And so um, they started the campaign and they wanted everyone to have this immunization. And then, of course, you get into um, the mid-50s, and half of the shots were infected with monkey kidney virus, and they knew it. But they didn't want anyone to know. They didn't want to halt it because they didn't want to get a bad name. This is all documented. They didn't want to get a bad name. So they let it go. They said, like in that clip I played the other day, it was more important to put out the vaccine than it was to recall it. It was just more important. Yeah, a lot of money to be made. A lot of money funneling into these groups, too. Does March of Dimes do some good work? Sure. But you have to go back to the game plan of how they do things. They get the foundation set up. They had a spike in, 2000, in, in 1916. And when they did the spike in, in 1916, okay, there was an article, because I looked it up. <laughs> there was an article, and in the bottom paragraph it said, it said, you know, with a spike like this, you know, we're going to need organizations to work on an immunization, an immunization plan. We need, we need some, some bigger companies to deal with this. We need an, we need an org, a government organization to start working with this. So hand in hand, government money goes to Basil O'Connor. It's funded by the government. It's funded by people. It's funded by corporations. Everyone's giving and uh, money explodes and they're able to get these shots in everybody's arms. The shots, uh, for we had 200 million people in the mid-50s in our populace. 90 million of them were infected. And then, of course, you had the cancer explosion that Ed Haslam talks about in the book Dr. Mary's Monkey. It's an incredible book. You need to get it. But we did not really have the problem that we're, we, keep, we keep being told we did. But if you really go back and look at the numbers like I did, it was kind of shocking because it was 24,000, 27,000. I mean, the numbers weren't as big as you think they were. And then, of course, um, it's in all the documentation under 1% ever got the paralysis. But they started this immunization campaign that everybody would get the shot. There were two things going on right before this, too. DDT was being sprayed. And, uh, and then also, um, penicillin came on board, both things. So 
whether they contributed to it or not, I don't know. But I, I just find that so utterly fascinating, don't you? Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. I'm trying to get there. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Caller, you're live. Oh, hi. How hi, are you? good. You're live. You have about a minute. Good. Yeah, I really like the discussion that we had yesterday about uh, the mainstream conservative talkers. Mm. And maybe it's because I'm, I've am i been listening to radio religiously sure. since I was six years old. Mm-hmm. I still think Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, and all them are good talk I shows. I do, too. They may I not do get too. In as deep as issues mm-hmm. as you do, but mm-hmm. I still think they have a place in the, in the radio industry and I do too. If I want actually, to get into did something that deeper than I listen to you and well, the establishment and others? Thanks. Did that did that it. come across yesterday? Because I think there are a lot of really good people doing radio that talk about a lot of truth. I think that mm-hmm. there are there are parameters that people stay in, right? Because you don't want to be considered fringy yeah. or a conspiracy theorist. They're really afraid of those labels, um, and so I think there's some things they stay away from. Um, so I I don't have things I stay away from. Pretty much I'm, you know, I want to, I want to look under every rock, but, but I really do respect a lot of them. I think a lot of them are very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll admit if I want to know what's going on in Afghanistan or if I want to know what's happening Mm -hmm. with the, uh, the latest spending bill, I'll listen to Sean Hannity. If I want to get into deeper issues like 9-11. Yeah, I like Tucker. Or someone Mm -hmm. like you. Yeah, I like Tucker Carlson. There's there's a there's there's people that I really like to listen to too, and um, we're gonna have to yeah. hit a break right now. But uh, so I'll turn your volume down. But I I I I love where you're. I think I think where you're going with this. But um, but I think you know the question was more or less you know, am I telling the truth? How can you know somebody trust that I'm? Do I think that I'm the only one telling the truth? A lot of people tell a lot of truths. But I'm, I I don't have any other motive on this show than other than to look under every rock I want to. <laughs> it's my show, so I can. Um, so that was kind of a hard question to answer yesterday. Hi, call. Um, so anyway, we'll be right back. Kate Daly Show. On September 17th in 1787. This show is previously recorded. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way. God knows it ain't his. It sure ain't no surprise. Welcome, Kate Daly Show. You know, I really uh, <clears throat> hesitated to even announce I was going to do a show um, that was going to be uh, very informative today because I thought, oh no, you know, tech problems, right? And um, lo and behold, my site's not coming up. <laughs> first, uh, that's the first time it's ever happened. Um, so I am. I'm honestly trying to figure this out. What's going on? And there's no reason for my site not to work. So um, I'll be working on that while we're doing this. Um, and it'll go on podcast, I guess. That'll have to be my next, <laughs> my, you know, my resource here. Um, 
if people can't get it. Okay, live. Um, oh, you know. <sighs> well, hi, NSA. Thanks for listening in. Really appreciate you guys. That's okay. We'll get it on podcast too. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's just go in and, and, uh, and do this. So there's been a lot of experimentation. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to mention, I had a caller call in during the break. Um, we should get a tax break. The legislature should be doing a tax break for those that homeschool so that we're not having to pony up the dollars. Okay, for uh, public education, if we homeschool, we should have the option for those dollars, and I totally agree with them, too. Um, let's talk about Johns Hopkins, because I've, I've, I've told you that most epidemiologists within their state, actually, um, the ones that are assigned, like our own Angela Dunn, total nimrod, by the way, I'm sorry, but she is, um, um, come, you know, come by way of Johns Hopkins, they come by way of CDC and, and there's a couple of roads and there's a reason for that. There's a connection between Johns Hopkins, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Gates Foundations. And the 2000, the two, the event 201, uh, 201 that was predicted and rehearsed, you know, for the pandemic from the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation's lockstep paper that we went over on one of the shows. The two organizations have this long history of collaboration, but it started in 1916 when the Johns Hopkins School of Hygiene and Public Health was founded with funding from the Rockefeller Foundation. And then since then, they've been locked up because Johns Hopkins actually started in, I think it was around 1875, 76. And, and so uh, by the time this rolled in um, and they, they, they became one, basically, the Rockefeller Foundation and Johns Hopkins, um, kind of an interesting shift. And I want to explain what that shift was all about because it's really strange. Um, and also... Johns Hopkins plays a key in just about everything right now. They're playing a big, huge role in vaccinations. They're playing a big, huge role in being the information provider for the vaccinations. And in every article you see about COVID-19, you will see uh, per Johns Hopkins research. You'll see that line in just about every single one. Trust me, (laughs) I've been doing my homework on this and they are everywhere. Um, And it's because um, they are the lead voice, right? Because we think of them as the lead um, research um, hospital, right? Or, or, Or institute. Okay. So in 1913, the Rockefeller Foundation sponsored a conference on the need for public health education in the United States. This is where it started. This is, this is how we got where we are today with public health and why public health is running our country right now. 1913, Rockefeller Foundation sponsored a conference. The foundation officials were pretty convinced that a new profession of profession, mind you, of public health was going to be needed and it would be allied to medicine, but also distinctly different. And this is very, very important to know with its own identity and its own educational institution. So there was a, they, they really wanted a deliberate separation between medicine and public health leaders. And it came from, um, again, this study, uh, or not, well, study, uh, the Welch Rose Report of 1915, which laid out the need for 
adequately trained public health workers and envisioned an institute of hygiene, you know, in the United States. And this report reflected this this difference between the two architects of this, Welch and Rose. And Welch was a little different than Wycliffe Rose. Uh, Henry uh, or William Henry Welch had kind of a different history. His he favored scientific research, whereas Rose wanted an emphasis on public health practice. So in 1916, the executive committee of the Rockefeller Foundation approved a plan to organize an institute of school of public health at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. And the institute was named the School of Hygiene and Public Health, indicating this sort of compromise between those who wanted the practical public health training on the British model and those who favored the basic scientific scientific research on the German model. Germans against the Brits. How interesting. Anyway, um, and so Welch, uh, William Welch was the first dean of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, who also became the founding dean of the first public uh, school of public health in the United States. And the facility on the former was the Maryland Hospital site from 19, from 1797. Um, I mean, it goes way back, way back. And the Maryland Hospital was originally built on a hospital to care for yellow fever. Um, and then in 1840, the hospital expanded. Okay, so, so this resulted in this 1913 to 1916 event of trying to, trying to figure out how they were going to do this and create public health, which is a very socialistic, communistic term, right? So what they decided to do was to basically break it into two. And this was, this was by their design. This is what the founding document said from 1915. It said, this brings us to another important consideration. The object of public health work um, and taking advantage of all of this and, and avoiding a premature um, conventionalizing of advanced work in medicine. So, therefore, the fundamental medicine sciences had to form a background of good education for public health service. So they basically wanted the doctor um, to, to, when a patient consults a physician, he wants to know, first, what is the matter with me, right? And second, what can be done to relieve me? And the successful doctor then becomes a specialist in the recognition of disease and the use of remedial measures. His object is to cure rather than to prevent so they didn't want the doctor to prevent anything. They just wanted the doctor to cure stuff. They wanted the public health officer to be into methods of preventing disease. Now, you might think that sounds all well and good. <laughs> the only problem with it was the doctors should have been both. Public health really should have never existed. That's the problem, because when it branched off into two, two different ways of, of training up doctors and public health people, they were trained much differently. And they really had to separate it to, to actually get this profession going. And, and so they, they, uh, there was a couple of things uh, that they decided to do, but they, but they were really intent on making sure that the physician was only going to be in charge of certain things. And if you notice the medical training, it was how do you take the symptoms and how do you, what do you, you know, do to, to, for these exact symptoms rather than a career of preventing it as well, which it, it had been. I mean, if you were to talk to your, your town doctor in the 1800s, um, there, it would have been both, right? 
So how did they get it going? What did they do in order to do this to create a need? Well, the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission for the eradica- eradication, um, eradication of hookworm disease. From 1909 till 1915, they used the hookworm disease in the American South, specifically Alabama, Kansas, you know, I'm um, sorry, uh, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia. And the campaign was launched by John D. Rockefeller for a million dollars. Uh, to bring this movement of the medical profession and public health officials to boards of trade, churches, schools, the press, everybody together for the prevention, quote unquote, of hookworm (laughs) disease. And this is how they sort of got their, oh, kind of got their hooks into this to present a case in which the public health then was necessary. It was necessary that they launch forward and get this profession going, this all new profession going so that they could wedge the doctors into one certain little defined role so they could take over these other roles. So what happened was these 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 programs lasted until 1915 and the campaign ended in, well, a year before 1914. Um, and the property and the records of the commission were transferred to the Rockefeller Foundation and the International Health Board. And what happened was, was uh, hookworm disease. You could get that, you know, walking barefoot, you know, poor sanitary, you know, poor sanitary conditions. Right. Um, and it had been the, it had been around, you know, they they had already known this was uh, one of the three major illnesses you could get from the 1800s, along with malaria and yellow fever. Um, and they said in the early 1900s, many people in the South lock, you know, lacked this proper sanitary, such as sewage and bathrooms. And this was um, and the warm climate was leading to people walking around barefooted. And so uh, they said over 40 percent of the population in the 11 southern states were infected with hookworm. And they went ahead and they started studying it. And then, of course, they said 7.5 million Southerners had hookworms and they had to go reduce this. So they treated um, they treated. uh, Well, they they said um, 400,000 of them. And this is what remember, the population was about 100 million. It wasn't fatal, but they went ahead and they said, oh, well, we have to go ahead and, and, and get this. Now, by the way, in 2015, we had 428 million people with hookworm. But they decided back in the day that they were going to use this as the catalyst to present some sort of something, kind of like right now with COVID, where it wasn't killing people. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, something that, that is this insane to go work on, but they had to, they had to have something interestingly enough hookworm to put their hooks into. So they presented this and see, this is where we're needed. See, see how many people. So they treated about 400,000 people. Okay. They didn't save humanity, but they, they got the ball rolling and Johns Hopkins ended up this particular avenue of Johns Hopkins ended up being all over the world very, very quickly within a span of 30 years, China, Yugoslavia, you name it, you name it. And, uh, and the first director of public Rockefeller public health, William Henry, guess what? He was skull and bones fraternity, Yale university. Um, and, uh, uh, an interesting career, this guy. Very interesting career. Um, and he was the first physician recruited to be professor at the newly formed John Hopkins Hospital and Medical School at John Hopkins in Baltimore. 
That skull and bones, you know, I've done shows on that, and I, I hope you're very, very aware um, of the um, secret combination that is within the Skull and Bones Society that the Bushes are a part of and, and everybody else, that John Kerry, you name it, part of that little society because it's, really, it's a really close club of people. Um, I'll be right back. Uh, I'll be right back. I've got more. <laughs> Don't go anywhere on the Kate Daly Show. Politicians, both Democrat and Republican, love to talk about free stuff as if they invented free. But for as long as I can remember, there was always free cheese in a mousetrap. Uncle Milty here for HearingAndBrainCenters.com, 435-612-1023. HearingAndBrainCenters.com, 435-612-1023. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Something wrong with the world today. The light bulb's getting dim. There's meltdown in the sky. You can judge a wise man by the color of his skin. Kate Daly Show. Um, I put up a link on the uh, Kate Daly Show website or Kate Daly Show Facebook page, and you can stream live from another location. If you are unable to um, stream live, make sure you share that link today, too. Um, I'm doing a, a three-part show. Uh, we're doing the John, John, Johns Hopkins portion right now. Then we're going into the COVID vaccine on all the things you need to know. Not all, but I'm going to hit a lot of it. And uh, and then, of course, I want to get into kind of rounding this up, which is going to be really weird going back to where Johns Hopkins comes in, cancer treatments, mustard gas, chemo, because those are the same thing. Yeah, I have a lot to talk about today. I might have crashed the site. Who knows? Anyway. Okay, make sure you get over to Tropical Pool and Spa. You know how much I love my hot tub. I can't speak highly enough about it. Make sure you get over there. I'm serious. Make your your home a little heaven on earth. You're going to be there a lot. And I hate to say that, but, uh, but you will be. And make sure that you've got, you've got a place of relaxation and, and something that can take your mind off, off what's going on in this world uh, every day. I lo- that's what I love mine for. And uh, I love the health benefits and everything else. Tropical Pool and Spa, they are amazing. They do a fantastic job, by the way. They really know what they're doing. And uh, they're so fun to work with, too. Um, I love my, my hot tub. Okay. Um, let's get back into this. So I was talking about um, Johns Hopkins. The, the reason that Johns Hopkins turns out a lot of our epidemiologists in every state right now that are kowtowing to whatever they say and also the CDC, it's because they're all locked up. They're all so locked up that I can't even tell you enough. In fact, the first director of Rockefeller Public Health of the Johns of Johns Hopkins um, Public Health and Hygiene is what they wanted to call it, so that so that people would think that it was great, um, was actually a guy named William Henry, and William Henry was part of the Skull and Bones fraternity, same fraternity as the Bushes and. John Kerry and so many people that end up in government um, in the United States and abroad. And uh, he went to Yale University. Um, and he also um, he also worked and studied in German laboratories. It's really strange how much Germany um, 
has impact on our sciences, NASA, on our on everything, you guys, on everything. Because John D. Rockefeller owned uh, Standard Oil, and Standard Oil has its own history of propping up Adolf Hitler and uh, and paying for so much that happened in World War II. All these people work together, and I really do hope people finally get that, um, understand what a close-knit group this actually is. Um, so the German institutions are what influenced uh, the design for the Institute of History of Medicine at Johns Hopkins, which was established in 1929, um, after, after establishing the Johns Hopkins School of Hygiene and Public Health in 1916. And many of the residents that worked for him, um, oh, you'll recognize the name, Walter Reed, ring a bell, Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, and, uh, and also the, the founder, uh, founding director of the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research, Simon Flexner, and several others. Um, also, the same guy was also the president of the American Medical Association, the, American, uh, the Association of American Physicians. Um, he also served in medical corps during World War I, played a major role in the response to the 1918 influenza pandemic. You all remember that, right? The influenza pandemic they keep lying about. And um, early on, about 10 years after 1918 flu, they said 10 million people died. That's not even true, actually. Then they said uh, 40 million people died. Then it got up to 50 to 100 million people died. And all these years later, people believe that 100 to, uh, uh, 50 to 100 million people died, you guys, because they keep repeating the lie. They say it often enough, and then everybody incorporates it into articles and so forth. He was part of that. The response played a major role in the 1918 influenza pandemic that started with a vaccine. A vaccination, also head of the American Medical Association, also head of the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research, also the head of Johns Hopkins. And this is where it all, this is, this is where it started beginning. Uh, William W. Welch um, and the Welch Rose Report that started it all with public health and where we land today. They used the hookworm thing just to create sort of a situation in which they would have to lead out. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The term hygiene was used to indicate the scientific basis of public health as taught in the German institutes of hygiene rather than the British term of public health. So hygiene was German, public health was British and they didn't, they, which actually kind of suggested that there was more focus on administration with public health, but they didn't want that at the time. They wanted to focus on, on hygiene a little bit more. Um, because they, uh, they didn't want the, the, the British terminology to lead out. And, but then they segued into it pretty quickly, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so this is where the Rockefeller Foundation um, went in to create uh, the, well, the creation of public health schools around the world, 1920s to the 30s to extend the American model of the Hopkins School in many developing countries. In fact, uh, they went right into Yugoslavia and uh, 1927 under the leadership of Stampar. And he uh, actually, for the public health, you know, the entire population would have to enjoy the benefits of hygienic culture. Yeah. 
And so uh, what he did was uh, he had he created what was called the Peasants University, and it consisted of specifically designing health seminars for rural villagers to teach them how to get more hygienic and uh, create health stations in rural areas. Then, in uh, right before that, in 1924, John B. Grant took the Rockefeller Foundation and the Department of Public Health and Preventative Medicine into China and formed the Peking Union Medical College. And, uh, and then, of course, he was pretty aware that China neither had a system of public health administration um, and the Chinese police were responsible for sanitation and hygiene. And they followed this Japanese uh, practice, which was in turn modeled on an older German system of medical police. And Western medicine, uh, scientific medicine, was just beginning to make its way into Chinese society. We have uh, been there ever since. And when I say that, you're going to find out in today's show how much we're over there and how much they're into the creation of COVID-19 vaccine. The creation, the manufacturing, you name it. So partnered up. Once we brought this there, um, it, it, it has, it's been a downhill slide ever since. And uh, they created the International Health Board of the Rockefeller Foundation. There's so much to this. And the reason I, I brought this up, too, is because uh, um, Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> Dr. Rhodes, plays a big part in my, in my last hour of the show as well with creating what, what we now know as chemotherapy, very big part of Johns Hopkins. And this is why I wanted to focus on this a little bit today, because we've talked about John, Johns Hopkins before. I've said there's so many issues and problems um, with Johns Hopkins. And, of course, you know, when they showed up in October um, with their little event 201 and, and sponsored the entire thing, and it was a pandemic exercise, what, we'll do, what we will do in a pandemic exercise, and it was all sponsored by Johns Hopkins, and so many um, quotes and articles and so forth are coming out of Johns Hopkins. Um, you have to know that... that um, their designs, who they have partnered with, what they're about is so sickening to me. It is so sickening to me. So many people, John McCain, right? Remember John McCain on the board at Johns Hopkins? So many political figures, so many people um, part of this. And when you think about the collusion between John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil, the Rockefeller Foundation, Johns Hopkins, all of these, even Skull and Bones, when you start to think about all the collusion um, for decades upon decades upon decades, it's hard to, it's hard to take. It's hard to take because you start realizing how many, how many of them are, are at the helm the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, Johns Hopkins sponsored that event 201 with them. They are so deeply embedded into what's going on right now. In the next hour, I'm going to I'm going to deeply get into um, some stuff with uh, what's going on with the vaccine. I'll play a little bit of, of Dell Bigtree, too. It's pretty diabolical. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Go ahead real quick. Hi. I think most important, the uh, elephant in the room with John Hopkins right now is they're counting all the votes. They are the only one mm -hmm. telling us how many people are dying from this thing. Yes. 
Uh, and we don't, uh, there's nobody else monitoring them. Uh, we don't know what the states are sending them. We don't know if they're uh, altering mm-hmm. the votes. It all, they are the vote counters. Yes. So it, it could be 5%, 2% of the death toll from this. Yes. Yeah. Johns Hopkins and, came out yesterday and said Wednesday we had almost 1,500 deaths from COVID. And when you went to the WHO site, they said 680. Yeah, there, there's a huge the, amount of discrepancy. And what's the term that the media and the politicians keep using? Confirmed votes. And yet many times states have taken back. Uh, Pennsylvania took back 3,200 and said, oh, no, mm. they, were, they were wrongly counted. How can, they, uh, how can they be confirmed when they keep taking back the count? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. I also wanted to mention this. Um, People don't know this, but in the 40s, in the 1940s, 750 victims filed a $1 billion lawsuit against the Rockefeller Foundation, Johns Hopkins Hospital, the university, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Bloomberg School of Public Health. Yeah, that Bloomberg family. Anyway, Johns Hopkins Health Center Corporation, alleging that they were the driving force between all the human experimentation that went on in the 1940s in which vulnerable populations of Guatemalans were intentionally exposed to syphilis, gonorrhea, venereal diseases without informed consent. And the experiments targeted school children, orphans, psychiatric hospital patients, prison inmates, um, and the military. And, uh, yeah. And key Rockefeller and Johns Hopkins researchers involved in the Guatemalan experiments were also behind the now infamous Tuskegee experiments in which 600 impoverished African-American sharecroppers were never informed they had syphilis and given uh, uh, placebos rather than treatment. Also, uh, this happened with Puerto Rico as well, and I'll get into that in my final hour. But um, there have been so many people involved in just the organizations I just mentioned that have been murdered, that have been experimented on. And if you get into the 50s and 60s and you look at uh, all the drug experimentation uh, that came out of those years in particular, do you think that was by chance? Because it wasn't. There was a lot of experimentation going on and psychological experimentation, which I could do a whole five hours on, actually, um, on the show on all on these these institutions being in charge of MK Ultra, all of the things that 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 you've probably heard of this year, or really kind of started delving into, if you're if you're kind of new, <laughs> figuring all this out, all of the um, the um, psychological experiments and so forth. And so, I just wanted to say that these same people are consistently involved in really heinous abuse of us. I've done shows on the polio vaccine and how half of the polio vaccines, 96 million of them were infected. They went out and to the general public. And lo and behold, 10 years later, we got the war on cancer. Um, We got the war on cancer in 1970 because of the fact that we had four soft cell cancers that were soft tissue cancers. I'm sorry, that were that were just wreaking havoc on the public and they felt like those monkey kidney cells that they um, that were infected got into those vaccines they knew it they admitted it on the CDC website in 2007 and uh, lo and behold uh, 15 years later you know we had that war on cancer and it's never stopped so are there problems with vaccines all through history and the experimentation of all of these things and somebody could say well gosh look at what's come of it you know what I think we could pretty much shoot that all to hell today when we talk about what they're actually doing with all these vaccines and why the vaccine is so important to them. 
And I want to share with you um, how long they've been working on this, too, on the COVID-19.